of the most exciting, but also very, very stressful moments in entrepreneurship is the first recruitment. I know it because I've been there. I know it because our clients have been there. And it's really exciting because you see that actually the company is growing, but you are still not 100% sure that you crack the code and the growth will be going on. So it's like a little bit like eek moment. And also you're not 100% sure which role to recruit first. How do you recruit the best person? I mean, it's like the biggest fearful, but also exciting moment of your entrepreneurship life. And it's kind of like you have that belief that you have to recruit. And the millions of questions that you have at that moment, you just wish for someone to help you because it's scary. Welcome to the She Is Awesome podcast, the home for women business owners filled with extraordinary stories, giggles, and thoughtful conversations, offering inspiring takeaways for your life and your business. Hello, hello, my friend. It's Jay here, your host. And today I'm with a very special guest, the person who can help you. You know, if you're in that situation where you are like, oh my God, I got to hire, but I don't know how, who, what, ah, Julia Crawford is there with her 20 years or over 20 years of HR experience. Julia actually brings a really interesting view into the HR. And what she says is she helps her clients focus on growing the business they love because growth comes with people, right? Julia is the founder of People Pillar, which is an HR consultancy. And she also is a loving mother of a real two-legged daughter and I think one or two dogs. She is amazing and I'm so happy to have her here. So we have discussed many, many things with Julia, her journey into entrepreneurship, how she grew her business so quickly, and all the things HR related. You know, Julia actually admitted several times that the first hire is scary, and it was even scary for her. So we have talked about that, but we also have talked about some really difficult questions in terms of really, when can you hire? And what does it mean to hire? And, you know, like, how do you build a great culture even with just one employee, two employees, you know? So I'm going to give you a hint before we start, okay? The hint is, from my discussion with Julia, I understand that we all need to start recruiting now. Wherever you are at in your journey, even if it's day one of your business. You got to think about building a team. And that doesn't mean always hiring employees, but you need to have that mindset. And the recruitment needs to be a continuous activity, not hiring, but the recruitment. And listen to why and how in this episode, because Julia gives all the details about it. So without further ado, I would love to welcome Julia to the podcast.
Hey, Julia, welcome to the She's Awesome podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. How are you today? I'm all good. Thank you very much, Jay. I'm very glad it's Friday. <laughs> I know it is. We are recording on a Friday. I'm very glad it's Friday as well. After a week from hell, I am going to sleep, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Julia, without further ado, would you like to tell a little bit more about yourself and your journey to entrepreneurship? Yeah, sure. So um, I have worked in HR for far too long, uh, for about 20 years. And up until July 2020, I'd always worked in, you know, as part of bigger organisations, spending 15 years in the public sector as, as being kind of my last employed work. Um, so I set up People Pillar in July 2020, right in the middle of a or at the start of a pandemic, because to be honest, I'd always wanted to have my own business. The time had never been right. And <laughs> whether the time was still completely right at that point, it was... It was a kind of, why not? What, what have you got to lose? I was still working part-time when I started my business, which was incredibly hard, I think is probably fair to say, to juggle both. But what it did do was enable me to build my business gradually, to still have that financial security, and probably take a few more risks as part of that, knowing that I still had a monthly income coming in. So that was kind of how we started. And then over about the next 15 months, it carried on that way as I was building my business. And then I made myself redundant in September 21, and then started working on People Pillar full time from then. So what is People Pillar? So it's a HR consultancy business. We work predominantly with small to medium sized businesses across a whole variety of sectors. We've got some charities, we've got some tech clients, we've got some retailers all around the country. And it is a mixture of working with, it could be a small startup taking on their first employee through to businesses which are kind of a bit more steady and kind of just supporting them on a day-to-day basis through to ones which are looking to scale. So some of my bigger clients are roughly around the 100 employee size. So it's a complete variety of the work that we do with them. So yes, we're nearly coming up for three years since we started and which is incredibly exciting I think I probably look a little bit older than I did than when I started um it's it's been an adventure it has been and hey tell me something because you know you're not giving the full picture but from what I know it was a quite fast growth journey how did that go how was it like yes you were half-time working Quite quickly, you started to bring in people in your team. How did that happen? Yeah, so I always knew that I I know what I'm good at, and I always knew I was going to need some support with some things, predominantly kind of some of the more admin based activities, which doesn't really excite me that much, if I'm honest. Um, (laughs) So, quite early on, so probably after about four or five months, I would say, I started working with a HR virtual assistant who helped me grow the business, to be fair, actually. She had, you know, a very structured and systemized approach to what she did, but also she had a really solid HR background as well. So, she was able to combine kind of her organizational and admin skills with some HR knowledge and experience. So we started working together and then her hours just built up and built up, but still all on a freelance basis. She wasn't employed and she had other clients and things like that as well. And then kind of over time, I then started working with another associate and then 
another one and then another one and it got to the point it would have been about a year ago actually that I was working with six different associates all with slightly different backgrounds and expertise but that was essentially the people pillar team and it got to a point where it was working well but it actually took quite a lot of juggling to manage all of that resource and to be honest whilst it wasn't necessarily a commitment to the business it was an expensive way of doing it as well so that really made me start to think maybe I need to now take that leap and actually look to take on my first employee which is what I did (laughs) it was terrifying and and I probably um denied about it for probably about two to three months I knew that that's where I was going but it's a big decision you know it's a big commitment to the business whereas with the freelancers worst case is if you know if, if the work disappeared then we could just part company because actually we're not in any kind of contract or anything like that but the bigger issue at that point was probably the cost. The, the cost and control, actually. And that's not coming from a, a kind of point of view of, of being like this real control freak about my business. I don't actually work in that way. But what I couldn't have control over was that kind of level of service to provide to my clients. So I couldn't say to one of my associates, look, I need you to drop everything you're doing for everything else and get this piece of work done for my client because it's not that type of relationship. And I think that probably started to leave me a bit more exposed in terms of the level of service that I was giving my clients. Oh, that's really interesting. So actually, you think that when we have an employee versus a fully trained and fully functioning associate, we can ensure a better service. I think what you you have definitely have flexibility and probably a little bit more resilience, maybe if you're working with a number of associates, because if one of them can't do it, then somebody else can potentially pick the work up. Not in all cases, but I think it's more about getting somebody in and then completely submersing them in the business. So they fully understand what's going on with my clients and understand and kind of build those relationships with kind of the managers and, and the MD. And it's then down to me to, it was at the time, down to me to kind of prioritise, okay, well, this is actually more urgent. I need you to work on this or can you do this today? Whereas with the associate side, because it caused quite a few of them actually, you know, they became freelancers, usually around family commitments. So actually you've got a chunk of work done between school hours and then during the evening so you were never quite sure exactly when you're going to get the work delivered part of that comes down to contracting and kind of agreeing those time scales but that in itself then started to become quite intensive when I was working with six of them so actually to try and keep on track of all of that was difficult and still deliver work to my clients sure so I just want to say chapeau first because basically within very very small amount of time you grew to a level where you could provide work for six different associates, which is an amazing thing. And then I I really like to hear that someone expert in HR who knows the value of team building and who knows that, you know, the company will grow with team, like employees, even for you, it was actually a leap of faith and it was actually a step that you had to take to hire an employee. And I like to hear that because it makes it actually human. You know, a lot of people struggle with this. And I think it's a really fair struggle because it's the first time that you say, I am responsible for someone else within my business. Absolutely. 
and that's yeah. it's pressure you know and it's also just all the practicalities that go with it as well and it's and I was I, I just remember sitting there thinking, oh, I need a HR consultant to do this for me <laughs> So it's actually a really useful exercise to, you know, I've recruited people before in the past, but to actually go through the exact same experience to what my clients go through and kind of to understand their feelings and their anticipation and their kind of, do I, don't I, who, what sort of person do I need? How do I pay? All of those sorts of things. And I, you know, I hadn't thought about all of it. I remember the first team member I took on, you know, we were talking about some of the, the terms and conditions and like one of the questions were, what about sick pay? It's like, whoa, I don't know, really. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it. So even though I know that's what I'd advise my clients, when the shoe's on the other foot, it's a bit more, it's hard. <laughs> It is hard. It is. I agree. Yeah. Well, I can only relate to it on the idea of working on your business, planning. And it's always my business that goes like, oh, shit, I didn't do my planning. I didn't do my my (laughs) strategy for the quarter. I got to look into my, you know, I totally agree when it comes to you. It is hard. Okay. So, Before I go into more expertise question, which I know that we're going to get golden nuggets after golden (laughs) nuggets from you. Before I go to that, I'm going to dig deep a little bit for stories. I mean, you must have seen some really interesting stories. Like what was the story in your HR years that gave you the thought of like, oh, if I have my business, I would never do this. Hmm. Um, so I think that in the time before um, starting my business, I went through quite a difficult time in my role, which was a situation which really questioned my values. And, you know, it was a really hard time. And probably <laughs> was the reason why I set my business up when I did. And what that did make me realise that actually, you know, a big part of what I wanted from my business was that I wanted to pick who I work with and work with people who I connect with and who have similar values and want to genuinely get the best out of their employees and treat them with respect and as an adult really and you know what was important to me with people pillar was don't work with dickheads (laughs) and that is something which (laughs) which I need I go back to it's like okay am I staying true to that and you know sometimes it's not always that easy to completely pick and choose who you work with because of finances or you know whatever that may well be but you know if it got to a point where a client was seriously challenging my values then it's about remembering that that's important and sometimes it's about sacking clients as well and I think that all got a little bit lost before I set my business up. So it's been a really good opportunity to have a complete fresh start of what's important. That's an amazing answer. Thank you. Because from the company perspective, then it also means that like almost values are the thing that you got to look into first. And see if there's a match. Yeah, you won't know that automatically. You know, it won't always be completely obvious, 
but it will become obvious quite quickly when you start to work with them, when you start to just see how they treat their staff. And I think it's about having those like-minded views to working to kind of employee engagement, to, you know, development, to actually just having that ambition to want to grow their business as well. So there are a lot of things that I wanted to focus on. Part of it is, you know, part of that journey was was finding my way a bit with that. You know, it didn't happen on day one of, right, I'm not working with you. And actually, sometimes you have to be a bit bold in those decisions because sometimes you can't be too picky and choosy. That sounds really awful. But, you know, as you're growing your business and building a business, it is about trying to get those foundations. And then I think as you get more comfortable and, you know, part of that was, you know, I'd left you know, a good job that I'd done for 15 years. And I'd gone into this whole new world of consultancy, which was scary. And I was really questioning, well, can I even do this? You know, have I got the skills and the experience to do it? I knew I did, but I also knew I was going to need some help with some things and that's okay. But yeah, and I think once I kind of found my groove a little bit, it all just started slotting into place. And then I think it's about kind of believing in yourself that I do know what I'm doing. I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a good job in my business. The referrals from my clients are great. Actually have that confidence to kind of that, that kind of courage of your convictions and actually go back to those values and what's important to you. Yeah, love it. It is the reason why I quit my previous industry. Not even like I'm not even saying previous job because I had another business. But the industry and the way that it started to be led and who I had to deal with, it was all around that, like, I was always feeling like I was betraying myself. And I was like, I was making a lot of money, but I was absolutely not happy and fulfilled. It was such a weird thing. Like, and of course, when you have money, then, then you spend it and you think that you bought that little happiness moment what you buy is maybe satisfaction and joy at that moment, yeah. like small, but you never get to the true happiness because you never wake up saying, hey, I'm going to do a great job today because it was always like, oh, what am I going to have to deal with? And it wasn't about the work that I was doing. I loved the work. It was about the people that I was dealing with, which I found extremely not aligned with my values and with what I was defending in life yeah I agree and I think it's what I absolutely love now about what we do is that we work with some amazing clients who genuinely value the advice and the support that they get and I know that what we're doing is helping their business and adding that value whereas I think that got a bit wasted before and I wasn't able to you know I had all of these ideas what I wanted to do and the changes that I wanted to make but it just wasn't the environment to do them in and now what I can do is be very pragmatic in the advice and support that we give be much more kind of creative when it comes to their employees and helping them with their culture and looking at different ways of doing things not just always doing really kind of traditional HR practices because quite often they don't work or they're not right for that type of business at the point they are in their journey some of them need a bit more structure and some HR practices but it's not about no you can't do that it's okay well you can do that these are some of the risks but this is how we could do it and still get to that end point yeah 
Great. Well, to our listeners, you know where to go when you are willing to do things and, and trying to find strategies around stuff. Okay, here is another question. When you were working, like when I was in corporate, I feel like it was a different life. HR had a connotation of, oh, they're going to either fire you, <laughs> they're here to hire or fire, and that's it, you know? How do you think about that? Like, did you feel like you were almost seen as the trouble for the employees? Absolutely. Not in all cases. But I think, again, in some circumstances, it was we just did everyone's dirty work for them and wasn't necessarily the right approach. But it was around doing what the business wanted, which wasn't necessarily right. It certainly wasn't necessarily right for the employee. And actually, when that happens quite a few times, that's, again, what that just eats away at you a little bit. And I think, you know, there's always this thing that HR is there for the business. It's not there for employees. Ultimately, yep, that is true. You know, at the moment, my clients pay, you know, my contract is with the MD, the owner of the business, whoever that is. But it's about trying to bring to that relationship, to that organisation, something that's fair and gets, as I say, gets the best out of people. And actually, I wouldn't necessarily want to be that old impression of HR that that's all they do. There is an element of that. You know, there's, you know, there are some some crappy things within HR that have to be done. And there's no shying away from that. But you can still treat people as a human with care and respect and not just make it a pure process that they're a number in. You know, there's somebody that's still part of that. And if you can treat them in a compassionate way, you know, even if you're going through a disciplinary, for example, there's ways and means of doing things. I love it. I love what you're saying. It's such a fresh way of looking at things. And I love what you're saying about like HRs for the business. Well, employees are for the business as well. I mean, or like businesses for the employees as well. You know, businesses, it's all about creating value. And there are three receivers of this value one is shareholders the second one is customers and the third one is employees so and I love what you're saying it's like HR is the third eye that is there to create fairness which is also great yeah of course you are paid by your clients who are the shareholders and they might just see their part of the story But if you could bring and if they were able to open their eyes and if you could bring the other side of the story on the table and also the legal and the fair side of the story, that's actually the best way to approach it. And I I guess I wish, I really wish (laughs) that this was actually a norm in every company, but it is not. It is like HR is used to do the dirty work, as you said. So question. What do you think about the saying, hire slow, fire fast? I would actually agree with that. I think you, well, I say hire slow, there's slow and then there's kind of complete procrastination and umming and ahhing about what you want to do and still being in the same position 10 months later. I think absolutely if people kind of recruit like that and literally they do it too quickly or they haven't thought through what they actually want from that role or that individual or what's the kind of gap in their business, then there is a high probability of recruiting the wrong person. And if you then recruit the wrong person, 
that can actually have a massive impact on productivity, on kind of time as an owner or an impact on the team. So yeah, it is a fine line of recruiting somebody who could do the role or has the potential to do the role. And actually, for me, it's around, you know, actually what people passionate about, actually, what can they bring to the business that's different to everybody else? Because ultimately, you can teach most kind of tasks in a role some take a bit longer than others but actually it's that excitement and that passion that people bring to a role which is going to make the difference not in all roles I get that you know I completely get that this is from my personal experience and that's certainly what I was looking for when I recruited in terms of firing fast again I think it's you know there are right and wrong ways to do that from a legal perspective however again it's about you know if there are issues it's about dealing with them as they crop up not just letting things drag on particularly like brand performance and stuff like that it's about having those adult conversations with people and if things aren't working then again it's rip the pastor off but this still needs to be done in a way that's not going to end up with a tribunal ideally But yeah, I think the longer you leave it, yeah, it's not great letting these things drag on. Okay, great. Right. Let me get to the really important question, because a lot of people who listen to us right now are like at the first few employee stages. Let's talk about that first employee. I mean, like... Like you are an HR person and it took you a deep breath to do it for yourself. Imagine now someone who has never managed, who's really skilled at what she does or he does, but really never actually managed, never been in even maybe that big of a corporate situation. It's just that they're excellent at what they're doing and they started to grow and they're going to hire their first employee. I mean, imagine how daunting it should be. Like one, okay, the question one is, when is the good time to hire? I think the good time to hire is when you, as a business owner, or anyone looking to hire, to be fair, when you are doing tasks which actually take you away from kind of the core part of your business. So, for example, it could be that you're spending I don't know, X amount of hours a day or a week doing admin duties or lower level activities, which take you away from higher fee paying work. So it's a case of kind of sitting down or you're kind of thinking, I haven't got time to do all of this or you haven't got any capacity to take on new clients. So that's probably the kind of the tipping point, really, where actually you physically, unless you start doing 18 hour days, as opposed to just maybe 15 hour days, that, you know, what's that tipping point of I can't do it anymore? Ideally, you do this before you get to that point, because by then, you're kind of potentially going on a downhill journey in terms of kind of your energy and ability to deal with things. So ideally, it happens before that. And it's kind of then doing a bit of planning work around okay well what are the types of activities that we do and it might be actually you need to keep a diary for the next week or two weeks even a month of all of the activities that you do and then have a real hard look at that of okay well do I actually have to do that not do I want to do it or from a control point of view do I need to do it but do I actually have to do it and if the answer is no okay, well, where could it go? We either stop doing it or do we need to get a VA in to just start doing some of it? Or are we at the point now that I need number two? I need that second person in order to grow. 
And once you've kind of got that, it then actually starts to become a lot easier because you've done the hard work of working out what that type of role looks like. And then you can start doing the planning of, okay, well, what sort of skills do they need to be able to do it? Where could I get this person? Doing some salary benchmarking, how much do I need to pay them? And these are all the sorts of things that we can support somebody with. And I would also say in terms of interview, it's also quite handy to have somebody else there with you to do it because otherwise you run the risk of recruiting somebody just like you, which isn't a bad thing. For me, I always knew I didn't need another me. I needed somebody else with a different skill set. Mm. If I had another me, <laughs> we'd have some problems. Um, so I knew what was missing in the business and it was really important to focus on a person that could do those things to free up me with the time to do the things that I do well. I love what you're saying. And you know what you said is really important, like the process has to start before you hit the wall. Yeah. And I guess that's the idea of like, you know, in business strategy, we always say you should be recruiting all the time. So you recruit all the time. The recruitment is the part where you're looking if the person is a match and you always have an eye of like, oh, could I have that person in my business? Would that person be a, a good match? And like I have worked with companies where actually whether there's a role or not, there's always CVs coming to the company and they're always recruiting and meeting people. Yeah. And then they have like top list of CVs. They have like potential roles and that's how you know that you're not like back to the wall trying to fit someone and actually hire as a band-aid because you had to hire at that moment. Yeah, definitely. I think if you get to the point where you have to hire, you're more likely to potentially rush a decision. I think, again, it comes back to almost doing that forward looking of, okay, I'm starting to feel that kind of pinch now. I need to start looking ahead to what that next employee looks like. And, you know, and I'm at the point now that, you know, so I took my first employee on in July last year, then again in November. And... I'm now planning for the third one and that work's currently being done by associates. So it's kind of having that core team that know your business inside out and then being able to expand and then contract again using associates. That's what works for my business in terms of the resources available, but it could be agency staff. It could be, you know, it could be some casual staff that you bring in zero hours, people potentially that can help you grow in a way that's not completely rigid that you have to give somebody 30 40 hours a week you know that can build as well so it's about being flexible in your approach but absolutely you know it can take time to recruit somebody as well particularly if people have got notice periods and things like that so you know if you suddenly get to the point you think oh my god I can't actually cope with this anymore but it's still another three four months before you actually get that person in how are you actually going to cope in that time so it sounds very easy and there's no right or wrong way of dealing with it it's you know it is what's right for your business but I think, you know, there have been a few moments where I've thought, I mean, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep going at this pace. It's hard. You know, it's really hard. (laughs) You know, I make it sound quite easy. It's really hard running a business and it's scary and it's tiring and it's, you know, there's lots of decisions to make and it's quite lonely at times as well. And whilst I've got that team, which I absolutely love, I'm still responsible for making sure they can pay their mortgages. (laughs) So there's yeah. a lot of questions as well. 
Yeah, there is. Like that, that, I guess that's the human like responsibility part that actually stops people. But I have heard a lot of like, especially this is in women business owners. Like I have heard so many people going, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to deal with the team. I don't want to deal with people. And then they find themselves in a big trap, actually, of, well, it's either you're going to deal with people and empower them and create meaningful relationships and they will become your team and they will hold you and you will hold them. Or you're going to deal with shitty work that you hate doing. (laughs) It's like, and you can't grow your company. That's like the bottom line of the whole thing is if you want to make more money, if you want to grow your company, at some point you got to think about building the team because there's only 24 hours a day. Yeah, exactly. Can't grow your company. Whatever you do, like however you do it, yeah. Even if you exponentially increase your prices and found the, the people that can pay your prices, the ultimate growth comes from people. It does, and I think there's also a big part of it which is around kind of that self awareness of actually what am I good at? Some people are dreadful managers <laughs> they really are you know it comes to a point you said earlier that you know they're, they're experts in what they do and almost that natural next step is oh I, I could be a manager and I could, I could manage a team of people who are experts in what they do and actually it's a very very different role and actually some people don't really like being managers because it then takes them away from doing the stuff that they enjoy doing. You know, people don't set out in their careers, oh, I'm going to be a manager. You know, they set out to be in HR or to be, I don't know, you know, to do a career. It's not necessarily to be that manager. And I think the self-awareness then comes in of, actually, this isn't my strength. I can do some training so I can kind of learn some of the skills that I need or the kind of the technical understanding of how to manage people but some people just aren't good at it and that's when they may need to bring in a manager of those people as well or to kind of make that somebody else's job as well so they can either focus on doing the the client work or doing the sales and the marketing side of whatever that is the only way people grow a business is through their people and it's a hard balance of keeping people happy I don't know if that's the right phrase. You know, it's not necessarily your job to keep people happy, but it's about keeping people engaged in what they're doing and giving them that space to make decisions and to grow and to develop, to take risks in a safe environment. And, you know, as a manager or as a business owner, that's ultimately, you know, if they genuinely want their business to succeed, it's about employing the right people and then letting them do the job that you've employed them to do. I love what you say. It's really important to also, like what you said, creating the safe environment for them to take risks to do stuff. Yeah. That is like the psychological safety of being able to communicate, being able to say no, being able to do what you are hired to do and beyond. It's probably the most important thing. But you said something I want to, what is a dreadful manager like how do they look like or what is a dreadful how would I be a dreadful business owner who's hired like I'm hiring right now as you know and let's say from the hiring moment to the end where I'm going to end up in the tribunal what are my traits as a dreadful leader (laughs) um what kind of dickhead I am (laughs) I think you've got 
two separate issues there. You've got one which is how they end up in a tribunal and one which makes them a bad manager. So quite often they combine, but they could be different. So I would say... I think it's recognising that when you recruit somebody that they are going to go through um, kind of that journey with you in the first three, six, 12 months, whatever that is, and they're going to need different levels of support from you over that period. So it's around giving, you know, when they start with you, they're going to need a bit more support to understand your ways of, you know, the business's ways of working and, you know, how they need to do it, the different clients, all of those sorts. So they're onboarding effectively. And that will take some time. And depending on what the role is, that will take, you know, be shorter or longer. And then it's getting to a point that recognising they can do the job. So it's time to step back a little bit and let them do the role, let them grow in the role. It's about meeting with them regularly. So if you're a bad manager, it'd just be like, right, off you go. You know, not necessarily checking in with people to see how they're doing and checking in with people, not just about tasks. It's about them as an individual as well and getting to know them as an individual. I think one of the biggest things where people go wrong is micromanaging people of wanting to know the absolute ins and outs of every single thing they're doing or telling them what they do. Because what people, they they switch off. They stop thinking. It's exactly that. I've come across one person, I'm not paid to think. Well, yeah, actually you are. <laughs> but that's the impact of that type of manager. And they can just be soul destroying, I think you know where people have got skills and experience and they're not able to bring them to the table and people quickly move move on from that people can become trapped based on kind of their situation or you know their circumstances but they won't be turning up every day and giving you their all they'll just be doing the absolute minimum to get the job done which is fine they're getting the work done but as a business owner you know you really need that you know again if you want to grow and build your company you need the whole person turning up as opposed to just a tiny part of them. So I think, there, you know, micromanaging is a huge one. I think it's about not giving that support, not giving that development. And that doesn't mean paying for expensive training courses or anything like that. It, there's lots of things that they could do to develop people in the workplace or give them the opportunity to shine. And it's about recognising when somebody does a good job. Again, it doesn't have to cost a lot to do that. It could just be as simple as a thank you, you know it's those things that are that kind of come out the blue and aren't expected that make the biggest difference to people and then you've almost got the other extreme of those that either you know some of them don't even care about employment law that you know they're not interested in it it's their way or the highway usually you probably have a combination of that bad manager and that's where it's going to get them in some trouble yeah Right. So don't micromanage. I love what you said. You don't want just a part of an individual. You want the individual as a whole, especially it's so true, especially if you are in a small business, if you're hiring your second, like you're not hiring just to get things done because those things can be done by, as you said, associates and stuff. Actually, you're hiring to to cut off the loneliness of that journey a little bit. You are hiring to be able to talk to someone about things. So like, you really need that person to be fully engaged, loving their work, loving to work with you, loving the vision, engaged with the values, all of that. Okay, we're coming towards the end, but I have to ask this question. How do we find that person? Like the recruitment process, how do we recruit for that person, okay, we got to, as business owners, we have to do our part to motivate and engage people. But 
we need to also find the right person. And God knows, like I hate generalizing with millennial and generation Z, etc. I don't like that mentality. But I also know that there is a value and generational gap between me and who is right now on the job market and younger generations. They do want other things than what I used to want. They are not ready to give what I used to give. And there is no like judgment in what I am saying. I just know that they are a different kind of animal than what I used to be when I was their age. And I don't know how to find the person who will match me within that pool. So how do I look for it? So I think it's, again, it comes back to knowing what role needs to be done first. That's just starting point with anything. And, you know, do they actually need any specific qualifications or anything like that to do a role? And it is hard because actually it's about recognising those differences. I suppose it's not necessarily just, you know, targeting somebody who's younger. It could be, you know, it's not about that. I think it's being quite open minded in your approach. So, you know, a simple thing could be around your benefits that actually or, you know, the the benefits that go with that packet, with that job, that actually just because that's what you might want doesn't necessarily mean that's important to somebody else. So it could be that actually gym membership is more important to somebody in a different stage of their life. It could be that actually more kind of flexibility, flexible working is important if they've got parents who are older and they need to do some caring for them, for example. For somebody, it could be the increased maternity pay, you know. So I suppose it's just, it's not looking at it as a one size fits all. But it's also recognising that, you know, when you are taking on your first employee, you can't have this whole suite of rewards and benefits because actually you need the business to grow in order to be able to build on that offering. I think it's it's also in terms of where you find those individuals, it's looking across a different platform. So it could be looking at kind of the job boards like Indeed, it could be Again, if you're looking for a professional type role, it's looking at something like LinkedIn. So it's where do the types of people that you want to recruit, where do they hang out? You know, it's looking at it the same as, you know, where do your clients hang out and putting that job, where are they most likely to see your advert? That's amazing. Okay, so I like the fact that it's almost like marketing your business, basically. It's another part of your business that you're marketing for just a different target. And seeing it like that, it actually makes much more sense to me. And I hope it does make sense to people who are on that journey as well. Okay. Well, Julia, thank you so much for all these golden nuggets and all these amazing, I don't even want to call them golden nuggets. It's like, for me, it was awareness points, like things that I kind of got out of this. One Yes, it's easy to get freelancers in and out from our businesses. And at the beginning, it might be the way forward while you are kind of making sure that the revenue is stabilized. But they are not going to be as committed, as flexible, as as engaged as an employee. So at some point, we have to go to the next level and the next level is finding the right person but also what I'm hearing from what you said is also becoming the right business owner to recruit that person right it's it's also a very inner work to do to say I'm now 
not only responsible for someone and I need to pay, but it's not sufficient. I also need to feed them from soul perspective so that they can blossom. Yeah, absolutely. And it might be that you get it wrong. And I think if you get it wrong, it's like getting back on your bike, isn't it? It's, it's, you will make mistakes. I mean, I've, I've made so many mistakes since I started my business or gone down rabbit holes that I thought, oh, why have you done that, Julia? That's part of that learning. And I, but I think there are ways you can try and mitigate it going wrong. And, I, you know, and that's when you support. come to see you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't have, couldn't have positioned yes, that better myself. <laughs> I know, right? That's when. Well, I guess not that's when, but that's to prevent any real problems managerial problems yeah recruitment problems or afterwards like if if you are in a sticky position all these problems it's really coming to you and also I do believe that you do all that kind of like resourcing strategies etc so anything that touches people that's when we come to see you and I will put all your details in the show notes how people can connect with you and how they can ask for your help. I know that you do provide contracts, policy writing, very small affordable packages. So that's fantastic as well. Right, Julia, we're coming towards the end of this show and I have a signature question that I ask to all my guests. Yeah. You know, the name of the show is She's Awesome and the reason why She's Awesome exists is because I wanted to bring role models, relatable role models, women entrepreneurs who are awesome, and I wanted them to own their greatness. So the question is, Julia, why are you awesome? Oh, why am I awesome? Um, (laughs) I am awesome because I'm still running my business nearly three years later. It's doing well. It's growing. I genuinely want to add value and make a difference with my clients and I love what I do and I hope that comes across with my clients that's the approach I want to take I love the opportunity that I can use my skills and my knowledge and all of the learning that I've done and I can put all of that now into what I do and I think it is a success you know it's still a long long way to go and it's always going to be like a roller coaster I think but I'm really proud of what I've achieved and I couldn't have done it without the people around me. You are awesome, Julia. And that is a great answer. Yes, definitely. There aren't many out there who have done it and grew to that stage and continue to grow. I love your passion. I love your expertise. Thank you so much for enlightening us and actually taking some sort of anxiety that we might have around recruiting. Thank you so much for being here, Julia. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you later. Well, my friend, thank you for listening to this She Is Awesome podcast. If you want to share your extraordinary story and dare to inspire others, send an email to hello at academyweed.com. You can find the email address in the show notes. Well, let's meet here again next week. Take care. Bye now.